The evidence of Christian love. We've been talking an awful lot about love this morning and been seeing it in the passages that we've been dealing with. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, we read these words. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The one who loves God should love his brother also. In our area of study in John's Gospel, we are not only just dealing with love, but we are dealing with how believers are to relate to one another. That is, how to relate to believers. The question was asked of me by a couple of people last week. What about the love for others who are not our brethren? That is coming, and we will see how the world will react to us and how we are still to demonstrate love to them. So we're not talking about the fact that we should not love the world in the sense of the people of the world, but we are concentrating because that's where the Scriptures are. As Jesus Christ has been instructing his disciples on how to have a relationship with him, he's now dealing with how to have a relationship with one another. And in simplicity, what we've learned, and we repeat it again this morning, is verse 12. We had to do that by loving one another the same way that Christ loved us. And that is fine to talk about, and it is fine to say, but how does it work practically is what we've been studying. We have learned that there must be an understanding. First of all, and if we're going to love as Christ has loved us, we have to first of all understand how was it that Christ loved us? How did he love us? And secondly, in the relationship to that understanding, what did he say? What was his commandments? And then secondly, we not only must understand those things, but then we must put it into action. We must practice it because that's what he's saying. We ought to love one another. That's action just as he's loved us. So we need to have the understanding and then put it into action. And among other things that we've learned, we have learned this. How did Christ love us? Let's be simple with it in a summarization. One, by coming among us. It would have been fine for God to say, I love the world and do nothing about it. But he didn't do that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Bethlehem, over 2,000 years ago, God became flesh. He came and was among us. Christ's love, or the love of God, was shown, first of all, in coming and being with people. That was important to our study. Secondly, he loved us by showing us who God is. He revealed the one, the true, the living God. Since man has been on this planet, to this day and until the end comes, man develops idolatry, idols, people, whether it's been stones, statues, our own desires and imaginations, man has bowed down to idols. Man has seen in his heart that there's got to be something beyond the grave. And he's hoped for that and, and dealt with eternity. And what he does do is create idolatry or ways of worship. Jesus Christ came and the way he loved us was to show us the one true living God. 
Thirdly, he came and showed his love by obeying the Father's will, not his own. Right up to Gethsemane. Not my will be done, but thine. He went to the cross of Calvary. That was God's divine plan from ages past, from eternity past. And it was part of the Father's will, and the love was shown by submitting to the will of God. And then lastly, we noted together that it was by revealing the Father's plan. He didn't just leave us, and you can look at the context of that. It's all in this passage. He didn't just obey the Father and, and reveal the Father, but he also showed us with God's plan. People are still today in the 21st century, and they will be till God comes back, wondering, why am I here? What is my life for? Is there life after death? All of that. And Jesus Christ came to display and to instruct and to tell us what is to come and what God's plan is for us and how we can have a relationship with the one true God, and yet man is still resistant to it because of his stubbornness. We also saw the extent. How far does the love that Christ had for us? We've been celebrating it this morning. It's seen in verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. He gave his life. There is no other extreme. That is the extent. That's as far as one can go, is to give one's life for somebody else. And that's what he has done. He has displayed the love of God by giving his life for us. We just celebrated it. And he has now told us that we are to love one another in this way. And practically, we have seen some of these things as we continue on this morning, but I want to remind you. I mentioned last week, and we spent a great deal of time on this, for us to love as Christ loved, you cannot, and I gave several quotes last week, you cannot love one another unless you are with believers. It is impossible. God could not have shown his love unless he was here among us, and he clearly instructs us in the word of God that we are to love one another and be with one another. And as we mentioned last week, sure you will get hurt. Sure you will experience disappointment. Sure people will let you down. But where else can biblical love shine but in the midst of all of that? And that is God's intent. And that's exactly where he shines. In the midst of rejection, in the midst of crucifixion, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of everything that happened, it was in that environment that he displayed the love of God. You can talk about isolation. You can talk about separation. You can talk, as this current century is talking about, virtual church and my friends only. But as we saw last week, even quoting contemporaries of the day, it is not what Christ taught, nor is it what he exemplified. And it is not God's plan for believers to be isolated from other believers and just watch TV or listen to the radio. That is not how you demonstrate God's love. You will never experience the love of God sitting watching TV and watching a megachurch. And neither will you be able to love any other one, anybody else that way. Secondly, we saw, don't wait for others to love you. That's our tendency. Well, this one hurt me, that one hurt me. That is not what Christ did. He loved us before we loved him. And our challenge on that on a practical end was, we should not wait to be loved. We should seeking, be seeking to love one another. 
We should be seeking to demonstrate that love. We should be looking for opportunities to serve. We should be looking to love those who have even hurt us. We need to be willing to die. We said that last week. That's what he talked about in verse 13. Are we willing to die for other believers? That's a quite a big challenge. In most cases, I would say we're not. And we noted last week that it's not just physically. It's very unlikely that God, it, he could do that, but very unlikely that he's going to ask you to lay down your life physically for somebody else, though the opportunity may come. What he's really looking for us is to die to ourselves for the sake of other believers. How often do we do that? And he demonstrated his love in that he calls us his friend. And we, are to, and we gave you that understanding. And I repeat it again. And I challenge you to look it up last week. We are the friend of God. He is not our friend. That is a misrepresentation biblically. He is always our Lord. We are his friend. This is not a buddy system. And too many have brought it down to that. And as I quoted last week from a couple of writers, uh, Carson was one of them, that it was very clear that we are demeaning the Godhead when we treat him as our friend. And we need to be careful with that. We ought to be doing. That is to be our pattern. We ought to be doing for others. We ought to be obeying Christ. And today we continue in that as we talk about the practical end of it. And it is obvious, just in your outline, from verse 13, look at it quickly, that it is centered on others. The love of Christ is centered on others, not on ourselves. It's obvious in salvation. If you are here today without Christ, haven't yet trusted in Christ, heard the message over and over, listen, God can do no more for you. He's loved you to the extent that he's laid down his life. He's paid the penalty and price for sin. It is your stubbornness that won't trust in him. It is that you're walking as a dead man. Physically alive, spiritually dead. And what God wants you to hear is the gospel of Jesus Christ and he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So his life was given for others. It was obvious in some of the examples we looked at last week that, that love, to love is Christ's love. He loved by showing compassion on the 5,000. He loved by meeting the need of the woman at the well. He loved by calming the seas with the disciples. These are passages in John. And we are to have our life centered on others. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. I just want to hit a couple of things this morning here. Galatians chapter 6. Some of these verses were in the same context of what we were looking at last week, but we didn't get a chance to look at the verses. Here's an example of the practicality of how we are to have our lives centered on others. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, and I'll just say a few words. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in, an, in any trespass, you who are spiritual, watch, restore such a one. We ought to be involved in one, other, one another's lives. When we see somebody else that's fallen, what are we to do? We ought to restore such a one. How? In the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to him yourself. Why? So that you also, uh, so that you too, will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. That means I need to be with people. I need to be centered on people and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then will he have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to one another. Uh, to another. 
for each one will bear his own load. Now look, watch verse 6. The one who is taught in the word should share in all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Many of us quote verse 7 and never look at the context. It's the context of lifting up the brethren. It's the context of ministering to those who spend their lives ministering to you. And he says, don't be deceived. Whatever you sow, you're going to also reap. If you ignore one another's burdens and don't lift up one another, you will reap that. If you don't take care of those who are teaching you in the word, you will reap that in your life. That's what God says in the context. For the one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows in the spirit will in the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart. Listen, let us not lose heart in doing good. Some of us want to quit. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You get tired of picking people up. You get tired of ministering to other people. But that's what we're called to do. So then, while we have opportunity, this is it, folks. If you are alive, this is your opportunity and this is my opportunity. Let us do good to all people, but watch this, and especially to those who are the household of faith. That's what we're instructed to do. It's to be other-centered. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 quickly, another passage that you're familiar with. Hebrews 10, just two verses. The third reference I give you is the one we looked at last week, and it's on the walls, Philippians chapter 2. Don't be looking out for your interests, but look out for the interest of others. Put others first rather than yourself. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Very familiar with you. I know you are. And look before that, and you'll see the, the let us consider and so forth. But verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate. When's the last time that we thought honestly, listen, and really took under consideration how can I stimulate other believers to good deeds? What can I do to love and good deeds? I am to stimulate you. You are to stimulate one another. Not forsaking our own. Assembling together. That's what was going on in that church. That, by the way, is the trend of the church, evangelical church today. Anything you read contemporary will tell you that. I read a book that I'm going to be recommending to many people. I recommend to any of you that deal with technology today because it deals with the digital age and so forth. And he even admits to the fact that we're leaning very quickly to the virtual church where people will have no need. And, the, and he basically charges back the, the fact of this verse. What people are doing is using that as an excuse and they're not assembling together. That was the habit of some of them there. Look at verse 25 again. But encouraging one another. How can I encourage if I'm not with one another? And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see the persecution? You see the Lord coming? Then we ought to be involved. So it's centered on others. Another important aspect that I want to cover today is this. It's the second point of your notes. It knows the truth. The love of Jesus Christ not only is centered on others, and we've talked about a few things on that, but it knows the truth. In Philippians, go back first of all to uh, John again, John chapter 15. And while you turn in there, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, it says that our love is to abound. But it says this, 
abound in knowledge and true discernment, or all discernments. Our love is to be abounding in knowledge and discernment. People talk about love. We spent part of that message last week on that. We need to know really what biblical love is. And we need to love the way Christ loved, not just our definition of what we think love is. And we see that in this passage because in verse 15 of chapter 15, it says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master does, but I have called you friends. Why? He tells you. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He's given us the knowledge of the Father's will. He's given us the understanding of even what love is. He has demonstrated that in his life of how we are to love one another. And we cannot escape looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because the concept of biblical love is given to us there. And so I want to scan with you very quickly that passage today. We can't give it justice if we were really expounding it, but I want to say a few things about it. So turn with me to what our responsive reading was, 1 Corinthians 13. Here is what biblical love looks like. Let me tell you something openly. And I mean what I'm saying. I have failed you. It's true. When I go through this, and I, I tell you, this week, this study and so forth, and, and getting into the Word of God happens to me every week. It really does, and you hear that from me. But I know as I go through this, I have failed you in many, many ways to love you the way this book commands that I should love you. And I would say you've probably done that for one another if we're honest and if we take a good look. Let me just highlight a couple of things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to really concentrate on verses 4 through 7, but with a few time, uh, limited time we have. But let me just say this from verses 1 to 3. You can read it. It doesn't matter what gift you have. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter what you have. If you don't exercise those gifts, and if you don't exercise that knowledge in love, all you are doing is making a bunch of noise. Plain and simple. The thing that glues us together is the love of Christ. The thing that glues us together as a body is the love that we have one for another. And that is where, that's how the gifts are to function. That is the key to our motivation. And that's what should be going on in our lives. You can be serving in 42 ministries, or in some cases, not serving in any ministry, which is the case of some people in this audience. And you don't have the love of Christ, you're nothing. If you don't have it functioning, and you don't have it coming out in your life. We are to let that be the glue. We are to be loving as Christ loved us. And he describes it for us. And I'm just briefly going to make a couple of comments on it. You put yourself to the test. Let God use the verses in your life. And let me challenge you with this. Right now, stop thinking about somebody else. Did you catch that? Have you ever sat in a message and a teacher in Sunday school or a pastor's preaching, and your whole time you are throwing daggers at somebody else and say, I hope they're listening to this one. You never do that? Hmm. Try looking in the mirror as we look at these verses very quickly. 
That's why I say to you, I've failed. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. I'm just going to describe them briefly. What does love look like? Love is patience. Just a couple of comments. It's long-fused is what it means. It waits on God. If we don't have that type of love, what, what do we find? Impatience. I want it now. I want that person to be developed this way. I want them to be a 10-year Christian in two months. I want them to do everything the way I do it. I want them to believe everything that I believe the way I believe it, or else. That's not patience. And that's where we live today. Everything's instant. If we haven't got 4G, never mind 3G, it's no good. If we can't get on the phone and text somebody and go on and so forth, something's wrong. Everything's got to be instant to us. True biblical love is patient. How about this one? And I'm just touching these. True biblical love, you put it to the test in your own life. Love is kind. That is gracious. Now listen, I've tried to summarize it as quickly as I could for you in this time. What this means when it says gracious in its words and in its deeds. The opposite of this biblical love is someone that's hurtful with their words. Someone who's hurtful with their deeds. Someone who has this as an attitude. Why should I? Why should I serve? Why should I do that? If you find yourself doing that, you don't have the love of Christ, no matter what you say. It's not jealous, the third one. Look at it. Not jealous. What does that mean? It cheers others who are successful. When's the last time we did that? When's the last time you saw another brother or sister blessed and you just got so excited about that, you were as excited as if you got blessed? It's not upset when others succeed. Biblical love that's talked about here does not turn around with these words. That's not fair. I didn't get that. The pastor recognized you. He didn't recognize me. Mom did this for this one. Didn't do that for me. Dad didn't do this, etc., etc. That's the way we are. That's not biblical love. Biblical love isn't jealous. It weeps with those who weep. Rejoices with those who rejoice. Number four, I've got to go through these quickly. And I'm just giving you a piece of it. It does not brag. Look at it. This isn't my definition. He says love does not brag. It doesn't seek applause. And by the way, let me just give you a comment on that. There's nothing wrong. Listen, sometimes we get this mixed up. There's nothing wrong with coming to an event where people are honestly serving for the glory of God and God's given us emotions and applauding. God knows your heart. What this is dealing with is the person themselves. Love doesn't brag. It doesn't seek applause. It's not serving to impress. It points people to God. It doesn't have to bow down and say, did you recognize what I did? 
The opposite of this is they want, peop- they want to be noticed by people. It never admits that it's wrong. How about this one? I saw this recently, very carefully in a conversation. In the course, it was interesting because I was studying the passage. In the course of less than five minutes, I was with somebody who name-dropped four contemporary people of this day and age who are well teachers of the Word of God. It doesn't name drop. There's no bragging whatsoever, like you know this person or you're associated with this person. Number five, it's not arrogant. Just just to touch these things. When you talk about the practicality of love working in our life or any of these things in our life, it's not arrogant. It doesn't look down upon others. That's really what it means. It cares about others. The opposite of that is no care. It doesn't care. It doesn't care what other people think. It doesn't care what other people feel. That's the arrogance that's talked about here. It's not dealing with competition. That's often the way it's used. It's dealing with the concept of what I just said to you. Let's go on. Number six does not behave or act unbecomingly. I think this is lost in the Christian world today. I want you to understand what this means in simplicity. It's courteous. It sees proper things. It is respectful. That's literally what that's all talking about. When it says it does not be safe, it knows what proper things are proper. It knows and is respectful to an authority. It is courteous. I see that happening all over the place. I think people have forgot what it's like to be courteous. I think people have forgotten what it's like to be respectful and to give respect for authority and to understand rules. Nobody wants rules. Take a good look at what real love is, biblically. The opposite of this is crude. The opposite of this is harsh. The opposite of this is loud. Number seven, does not seek its own. It's not demanding. Rather, it's a servant. Doesn't demand its own rights. Doesn't say, if you don't give me my way, I'm going to go talk to this person or I'm going to take you before this organization or take you before that. That's just looking for your own. Number eight, you look at it, not provoked. What does that mean? It's not overly sensitive. It's not reactionary. How many of us are that? Somebody says something and boom, off we go. We're reactionary. That's not biblical love. That's not the love that Christ talked about. When it says not provoked, the idea is like an earthquake or or, or a volcano just waiting to burst waiting to get back at people, waiting to explode. That's not the love that Christ had for us. Number nine, how tough is this one? Love does not take into account account when it's wronged. That's a bookkeeping term. This one I'm very familiar with. You know what this means? It keeps no records. 
It doesn't say that this one did this to me, this one did that to me, and I've got down that on October 21st, 19, at 7 o'clock, this one said this to me. Say all you want, that's not biblical love. I've seen Christians that remember every wrong that was ever done to them. I've seen marital relationships where people won't talk to one another, not just for hours, not just for days. I'm talking about weeks, months, and years. Truly. Do you know what my spouse did to me? Talk all you want about biblical love. That's not biblical love. I can't fellowship with those Christians. Two years ago, do you know what they did to me? Two years ago? You know what you just said? For two years you haven't been walking with God because you haven't forgiven. It does not take in and wrong. You say, Pastor Dan, that's not really real. Oh, really? What did Pastor Chris quote? That's why I didn't go back and read it. In Peter? When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was mocked, he didn't react. He committed himself to God. We had a love as Christ loved us. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. I'm almost done. In other words, it doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't entertain sin. It doesn't use these type of quotes. It's my life. I can handle it. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. That's a sign that there's sin, by the way, someplace. What does it rejoice in? Number 11, it rejoices in the truth. Love, love, love loves what God loves. That was hard for me to write that one down. Love loves what God loves. Doesn't try to cover it up. Doesn't get upset when the truth is exposed. But it rejoices in it. How about this one? Bears all things. You can look at it. It's right there. Love bears all things. How are we doing? What does that mean? It covers other people's weaknesses. Our tendency is to under, uncover them and let everybody else know what the person did in our gossip circles that we say we're looking for prayer in. It doesn't expose other people's faults. It's Galatians 6. It supports those who are weak. It looks out to protect fellow believers. Three more quickly. Believes all things. Believes all things. Yeah, I understand it in its biblical concept, in its context. It understands the best interpretation was the way I just put it in the vernacular. It gives the benefit of the doubt to the person. How many times have we not done that? But rather, when we hear something, we become suspicious immediately. When that's in your life, in my life, it's not biblical love. Ever hear this one? I want to know the real story. As soon as somebody says that to you, you count it that they're not walking with God. Because that's not biblical love. They're suspicious. Always looking for the worst. Always judging people's motivation. You don't know my heart. I don't know your heart. God will judge that. How many of us are judging one another's motives all the time? Are we to judge? Yes. 
Of course we are, by biblical standards. We leave the motives to God. We believe the best in people. It hopes all things. It doesn't give up on people, I put it that way. It looks for a good outcome. Remember last week I challenged you, rather as we look at one another, what we should be looking is what is God doing in that life? Oftentimes we forget, you see someone that came to know Christ, and we know there's been changes in their life, we can see it, but everything hasn't changed, and so we give up on them. That's not the way biblical love works. It's not pessimistic. It doesn't see things as hopeless. It doesn't view others as they'll never change. It views and hopes all things, realizing God is at work. And what a way to conclude it, right? The last one in that list is it endures all things. It does not quit. You know how many Christians in my lifetime I've seen quit? I'm not talking about attending Fellowship Bible Church. Some of you are probably already interpreting it that way. It's not what I'm doing at all. Quit the things of God. It works things out. See, it stays with people. Christ didn't leave when it was difficult. He kept at it. He didn't give up on Peter. He knew what Peter was doing. And he knew how he failed. He didn't give up on Thomas. He didn't give up on the woman at the well. He didn't give up when all of these things came across. He endured all things. It doesn't quit. It doesn't say, I can't handle this anymore. I've shared that with you. There's been times I've been that way, and don't tell me you haven't. And you want to give up on Christians, you want to give up on one another. But true biblical love doesn't do that. I haven't again got to half the verses I wanted to get to. We had communion, it kind of went by fast. I know people have told me this, and I appreciate it, Pastor Dan. Don't apologize when you're teaching the Word of God. But I didn't mean to go that over, but I just wanted to get my heart out to you folks. When I look at this passage and I look at myself, I see many areas that I fail you. Many areas that I fail the brethren. But you know what? God hasn't given up on me. And now I bring it to you. If you're honest and you look at these things, I've got to believe that there's areas that you've failed. We are told to love one another as Christ has loved us. And here's a list of what love looks like. You know, the apostles were dealing with prayer and faith when they said, teach us to pray. And when they said, increase my unbelief. And I guess what I challenge my own heart in your heart is, God, help us truly to love as Christ has loved us. My God, help us to do that. That's what we're called to do. We are enabled. I do want to look at a couple of other verses, and we'll have to get to that next time. Let's pray. Our Father in God, this whole service has been centered around the love that you had for us. The Word of God tells us that you have to look down with humility on that which you have created. That just shows us how great you are. 
But then to try to understand how much you loved us, you not only created the world and created us, but even when man fell into sin, you sent your son. You're long-suffering, patient. Father, you tell us to love others as Christ has loved us. It would be an impossible task if it wasn't for your grace and it wasn't for you working in the lives of believers and enabling us with the power of the Holy Spirit. But Father, so often in this life, we talk about the practicalities of love. We can even give text and long lists of what it's supposed to look like and we never look in the mirror. We're always looking at other people and seeing their failures. God, I pray that you'd start with me. Move among us in this congregation and help us truly to love others as Christ has loved us. Help us to look to love the brethren in that way, for in it we know that you will receive glory and honor, and our lives, as we have already studied, will be filled with joy. Thank you for this time. We pray you bless the rest of the activities of the day and help us to go out of here with the love of Christ and shed it and show it to others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.